This is the most famous burp in all of film history. It's from Citizen Kane. It's from Revenge of the Nerds. That is uh, still going. It's uh, Curtis Armstrong playing Booger in Revenge of the Nerds. And as you may or may not know, it's the 30th anniversary of that movie and that great famous burp. So, Curtis, can you tell us the story of that burp? Okay, here's the story of the burp. Um, when we did the, uh, I am not a, a natural belcher. No. Um, uh, if you ask me to belch on cue, I can't do it. You know, they tend to sneak up on me like <laughs> they do most people. Yeah. And, uh, but I knew that there was this belching contest in the movie. So I said, what, how do we do this? And they said, just pretend you're doing the biggest belch in the world. And we'll, we'll find somebody who can actually do the belch, sort of a stunt belcher. Um, and they'll find someone, and they'll, they'll dub it in later. So when we shot the film, I just did this ridiculous, you know, endless belch. And uh, so they then started auditioning people to do the biggest belch in the world, and they, they got some good ones, apparently, but none good enough. Um, it really lacked something. So they yeah. started searching through recordings in the animal kingdom, to find something that you could use in, in, in lieu of a human belch. And they found, strange as it is, a recording of a camel having an orgasm. <laughs> what? It was, a, it was a, uh, a recording of two camels mating. And they happened to catch um, one of the uh, camels at consummation. And um, it was... Perfect. So they took that recording and they mixed it with the best human belch they could come up with. And that is what you hear, ultimately, is a combination of human belch and camel orgasm. Mm. <laughs> when, when did you learn that the, the sound... Years later. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, as far as I knew, when I saw it, when the movie finally came out, nobody told me that. But, it's so it's so funny to think about you know the the naturalist who was out doing this this exactly. field recording apparently yeah. didn't throw the camels off at all they having don't mind. some guy there with a microphone <laughs> but that's how the belch came to be so, and when you when you read for that role or read for the movie mm-hmm. were you, were you reading specifically for the part of booger no 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 because the part of booger didn't really exist much in the original script. I mean, he was there basically as kind of a nerd a nerd ogre. Yeah, okay. Um, he was just this sort of horrible, oh, just, I mean, <laughs> he was like a biker. I mean, he was weird. It was a, it was a strange um, thing, and he was mainly there to say really obnoxious things. Yeah. Uh, probably none of which I can say here. Well, so, Curtis, what was your reaction then when you got the notice that you were cast in the movie, that you and but that you were playing the character Booger? My feelings were mixed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had originally sworn to myself that if I were offered Booger, I would not do the movie. Really? Yes. But at the time, I was, I'd been out of work for almost a year. I had about $200 to my name. So when they finally called up and said, we'd like you to do Booger, I did what any actor would do in the real world, which is say, sure, when do I start? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, Curtis, thank you so much for talking to us about this. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. I have to say, you were so good in that movie that when I saw you on Moonlighting, I was like, ha, Booger did it. He succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Today on our show, we'll tell you how to design your next car. But first... Let's not even bother bearing the lead here. We, we have learned that uh, this is how they celebrate Cinco de Mayo at the zoo. They fill pinatas with meat, and they give them to the animals to devour. Uh, they do this on other holidays, too. Earth Day, per- President's Day, I assume. Mother's Day. We want to go learn a little more about this. Uh, we're going to go to Lincoln Park Zoo here in Chicago. You'll know we're there when we start speaking in hushed tones. So uh, do you just want to introduce yourself on tape for us to, to get us started? Yeah, my name is Becky Lyons. I'm a public programs coordinator here at the education department at Lincoln Park Zoo. Did you say your name was Becky Lyons? Yes. I know. You know, surprisingly, not that many people catch me on that when I say yeah. Lyons. I've only had a few people email me back and say, really? Is that your real last name? <laughs> so are these piñatas the same piñatas you'd see at a birthday party, the same shape, the same size, basically? So we actually have a volunteer enrichment group who comes every weekend and they make really big piñatas. Um, so they might make larger ones like the ones that you see at a birthday party. So a tiger-shaped one, or we're going to see uh, have rabbit-shaped ones that are going to be going out to the links later. You said a tiger-shaped piñata? Yes, yeah. And who's that for? So actually this morning um, our Takins happened to get a tiger-shaped piñata, uh, even though obviously a Takin would not eat a tiger in real life. What, what is a Takin? I'm not sure I know what that is. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. A Takin. No one who doesn't work at a zoo <laughs> knows what a Takin is. It's a goat antelope. Um, they're really cool animals. So you put a tiger piñata in a an enclosed an area where there's a, a goat-like creature. It, is it a herbivore, the Takin? Yes, Takins are herbivores. And so does that just, just freak it out? So, um, no, it doesn't look, or it doesn't really look or smell like a tiger. So um, they're going to check it out. They're, it makes them interested, you know, curious, and so they might step on it or, you know, tear it apart with their mouth. Uh, and then the keepers put in something inside that hopefully smells strong enough so they're like, oh, something's in here. I'm going to keep checking it out. I guess, I guess for a herbivore, it might be sort of a wish fulfillment to tear apart a tiger. Yeah, that might be what they were thinking in, in making that combination. Because we also do the opposite, where you might see a, you know, a lion eat a zebra pinata, um, and that's right. got that opposite effect going on. Well, okay, so do you ever build uh, pinatas that are man-shaped? Uh, I don't think we do that. <laughs> that might be a confusing message, <laughs> maybe a little awkward. So that is not the goal. <laughs> well, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks for coming by, guys. So I, I think what makes this so fun, in a way, is that like when we go to the zoo, we you always anthropomorphize the animals. You you can't help it. You know, oh, they love each other. Yeah. And, and but then some zookeeper is always like, no, like they're different from us. But making pinatas filled with meat and giving them to the animals. They're doing it too. Yeah, totally. It's like it's like they're having their own birthday party. I wonder if they have like pin the tail on the donkey but with a real donkey. So we are here in uh, what is basically just a little kitchen off the side of the big cat enclosure. And standing here with us is Laszlo. He's the guy that's actually going to make 
the meat pinatas they're going to feed to one of the smaller cats here at the zoo. These are the bunnies we selected for today's sacrifice. What did you just say? I said these are the bunnies that we selected for today's uh, enrichment. Um, you, you just said sacrifice, though, didn't you? Well, we will be sacrificing. Of course, the bunnies won't be suffering at all <laughs> because they're paper mache. Uh, and we'll be smearing some uh, good tasting. Uh, chicken tasting and smelling uh, baby food on them, <laughs> just to make them a, a little more even even more attractive to these cats, and I'm sure they'll they'll enjoy uh, playing with these bunnies and, and uh, tasting them. So tell us uh, some other things that you've put in uh, pinatas for animals here at the zoo. Uh, it, depending on the animal, uh, it and depending on what they like. For carnivores, it could be um, even a, a small bone with some meat on it. Uh, we could uh, put some fish. I noticed there's a big uh, silver refrigerator behind us that says animal food on it. Yes, that is a walk-in fridge uh, uh, specifically for our animals. Uh, we don't put any uh, human food in there, so it's everything that's in there, it's for our animals. I, almost, I was afraid you were going to say you don't put any humans in there. Uh, humans walk in there <laughs> freely okay. just to get the food out of it. Uh, can we take a look in there? Yes, please. All right, so we have, uh, looks like eight Tupperware containers. What, what's in those guys? Yes, those uh, Tupperware containers, you can see that they have little uh, uh, color coding uh, labels on them. That is because those are prepared um, lunches for some of the cats. So if you, if you were working here one day and you forgot your lunch, I mean, you could, you could take a little, there's bananas and some meat in there. You could make a lunch out of that, right? I could, but I won't. Okay, so we, we, are, uh, we are now on the, the other side of the, the bars of the Lynx enclosure, uh, and Laszlo is in there uh, hiding the rabbits. He just hid uh, one of the brown rabbits inside a hollowed-out log to make it, I'm guessing, more of a challenge for the Lynx. Now, now I guess they release the cats. That wasn't actually a, a lynx eating. That was a, a small boy next meeting an apple. But the sound effect is spectacular. Let's hear that again. What do you see in that cage? I'm not sure that lynxes say much better. She's looking around. She, I'm sure she can sense something. Something's out of ordinary. Oh wow! She's she's really chewing up that one. Yes. It, it's almost like she's mad that that rabbit was trying to hide in the log and is making it pay. <laughs> well, that, that is all in our brains. Uh, what she's really thinking, we don't know. I think she's happy that there's something to do. We heard from Sunny. She says she listens to How to Do Everything while knitting. Uh, she says she's only capable of knitting rectangles and tubes. Sunny, these next 15 seconds are for you. If you, want to destroy my sweater. you think she's knitting PVC pipes? I gotta say, I've uh, we just now we saw some snakes that yeah. would be pretty happy to have a tube sweater. Yeah, like a like a nice cable knit. I feel like you see a snake in a sweater. That's just a scarf. That's just a real nice scarf yeah. that slowly tightens itself around your neck.
Maybe you're listening to this in your car as you drive. And, and the fact that you can see your speedometer, the fact that uh, you can reach out and, and get to your cup holder, th those seem like accidents, but uh, they're not. In fact, all of these things that you take for granted in your car are the result of millions of dollars of research. We were curious about how these decisions got made. Online with us now is Don Shreves from GM. So, Don, can you basically tell us what, what your job is? Okay. Um, I am the, the manager of a, a usability team at um, General Motors, part of the Human Factors Center. But what my team does now is actually goes out and captures what would be called the voice of the customer in terms of how things are easy to use or difficult to use. So what, uh, if, if I got into a, a, a GM car, what is uh, something I would experience in there that is the result of, of the work of, of human factors? Well, everything you interact with would be the result of human factors. How wide your armrest is, that's human factors. Oh, yeah. Um, where the door remote handle's located, how comfortable your seat is. Sometimes when you get in um, seats and ride a long time, you get something called tail burn. All that's human factors related. Is is tail burn? Is that just a way of saying your your butt hurts? Yeah, it's a politically correct way of saying you got a butt ache. Yeah, <laughs> it has nothing to do with heated seats malfunctioning. No, no, huh? no. We can't use the word burn and malfunction in the same sentence. <laughs> so really, like when I reach for my can of pop and the cup holder. That distance is something that you guys figured out through trial and error. Yeah. Honestly, we, we probably spend more of our time working on cup holders than we do anything else in the vehicle. So, so to figure out the, the things you need to figure out, are you basically putting normal people in cars and just kind of watching what happens? Um, we, have, we, have a, we have several methods. My team specifically now is, is putting real people in vehicles and giving them alternatives to evaluate. So, uh, Don, has there ever been a moment where a human subject has reacted to something and you guys were totally unprepared for it? No, probably other than throwing up in the simulator, probably not. Uh, okay, say again. <laughs> we, 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 we have simulators that we'll put vehicles and people into. In other words, we can put them in a driving situation but not have them go out on the road. Oh, wow. Okay, so wait. So then people, they're in that situation, and then they throw up? <laughs> well, um, the thing that we try to do the most is for the rear seat occupant, when we're putting rear seat entertainment systems in, you know, it's, it's pretty well established that, um, you know, when your body's in the vehicle, it gets inputs that you're moving. Your yep. eyes see the, the movement out of the vehicle. Your your ears hear the hear the road noise. But when a kid is reading or when someone is reading a book and looking down at the book, their brain is getting an input of just a book. So the brain isn't getting the input that their vehicle is moving. That disconnect is what causes kids or people to be car sick. So, so, so what do you do? So what we do is when we, when we put the rear seat entertainment system in, we run a, a test with these computer mannequins and we can simulate kids you know, of different sizes and different ages and make sure that the screen is placed high enough that when they're sitting there, their eyes can see out of the, the door belt, out of the window, and they get some image of the, of the scenery changing as they go by. You won't, you wow. won't see us put any of the, the displays 
down in the back of the center console, which causes them to look down. We we jokingly referred to that door belt and down as the puke zone. <laughs> so we, we try to keep all of the displays up above the puke zone so that, you know, the, the kids can watch a movie or, or whatever they're watching and, and not get car sick. So should, can I then assume that, you know, I, I occasionally will read in the car and get a little sick. If I position the book so that I, I have an eye, uh, so I can at least in my peripheral vision see out the window, I'm going to be less likely? Absolutely. Wow. So, Don, I know because I've been, I've, I remember when I was a kid, my brother threw up in the back of the, the station wagon and that car forevermore smelled like <laughs> vomit. How do you get it out? How do you get that smell out? I don't know. Same with me with Genesee Cremel, but that's another story <laughs> that we don't want to go into. Well, Don, thank you so much. Oh, certainly. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I, I learned that uh, that Booger did not burp that burp himself. He no. had the assistance of the animal kingdom. I wonder when those uh, when those camels were were in that moment if they were thinking, you know, we may or may not conceive a baby camel, but someday this will be used. We have just conceived a great burp. Well, think about that camel though, the baby camel that they made. It it can look back and you know find in the archives a document of the moment of its conception. Hey, mom and dad. Was that you? I learned that at my uh, that the next birthday party I have for one of my kids, we might just have to to up our game when it comes to the pinatas. Well, I I do feel like uh, a meat pinata. As a child, your first encounter with the inside of an animal, if it's a pinata, you think that they're all filled with candy, and maybe smacking it with the bat and seeing you know, as gross as it is, some viscera fall out. You you learn oh. Oh, so that's that's biology. How to Do Everything is produced by Stephen Tobias with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Seth Kelly. He's also filled with meat and candy. Our artist in residence is Justin Witte. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. Website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Mike Danforth. And I'm Ian Chillog. This is NPR.